Hi everyone and welcome back to Snippet Sports Science, proudly brought to you by EliteForm.com. I'm Chris Cavillio, once again doing another solo session here. And the paper I'm actually going to talk about today is rather than a study that's been done per se to compare effects, is a paper that actually talks about considerations around programming in specific hamstrings. And we've spoken a little bit about different hamstring injuries and mechanisms and so forth here. And I looked at this paper and I thought it was really practical. And I actually went away and was able to implement something with one of the athletes that I'm currently working with. And I really wanted to share this one with you. And the paper is actually called Hamstring Exercises for Track and Field Athletes. Injury and Exercise Biomechanics and Possible Implications for Exercise Selection and Primary Prevention. And this is a really good paper. It has a really great introduction and just things to think about in relation to risk factors for hamstrings in track and field. And then just goes through a handful of exercises, which some of us, I'm sure we, we've all done. You know, it's nothing really new here, but it really gives a great example. So I'm just going to dig into snippets, no pun intended, of the whole paper just to give you an overview. And I think this is a really great reminder as a strength coach of considerations for all running sport athletes here. And look, as we all know here, that muscle strains of the posterior thigh muscles, such as the hamstrings, presents the highest index of prevalence and re-injury rates, and in particular, track and field. And this is such a hot topic at the moment, so I think it's really relevant. So any injury prevention approach for the hamstrings would consider the interconnected, multidirectional, and synergistic interaction between various risk factors involved in this injury. Now, we're all trying to predict injuries, and if anyone can actually do that, you know, I think that's the Pandora's box because there's so many things that we need to be thinking about, you know, range of motion, the muscle architecture, strength levels, fatigue, neuromuscular control. Therefore, in this paper, the authors want to review the possible role and effects of eccentric strength training for injury prevention and use that together with injury biomechanics as a basis to suggest an eccentric exercise classification criteria applicable to track and field athletes. The first bit here is to look at the role of eccentric exercises in track and field and hamstring injury prevention. When we look at the hamstring muscles, they act as hip extensors and knee flexors during both stance and swing phase of sprinting. And these are the most common mechanisms of injuries in track and field athletes. It's hypothesized that the hamstring is susceptible to injury during the terminal swing phase. And this can be explained by three reasons. Firstly, peak hamstring musculotendinous stretch seems to occur during the late swing phase of sprinting before the foot contacts the ground. Musculotendinous stretch is significantly greater for biceps femoris, probably because of a shorter knee extension moment arm. Second, EMG data indicates the hamstrings are active at the same phase of the gait cycle. Thirdly, the hamstrings are undergoing an active lengthening contraction during late swing, producing the potential conditions for a strain injury to occur. Even though hamstring muscles are more likely to sustain strain injuries during the late swing phase than during the late stance, one author recently reported that the hamstring muscles undergo a double peak of eccentric contraction, that is, during the late stance phase and during the late swing phase of overground running. One of the proposed risk factors for acute hamstring injuries in athletes is muscle weakness during concentric and or eccentric contractions. 
Muscle weaknesses in respect to this paper here has been assessed with one of two methods. Firstly, comparing the peak torque values of the knee extensors during concentric contraction with their antagonistic muscle group, that is the knee flexors during concentric eccentric contraction. And secondly, comparing the peak torque values of one leg with the contralateral leg during knee flexion. And both these methods have produced conflicting findings in prospective studies. Now, there's been a lot of work with the Norboard, as we potentially all know with that Nordic type hamstring activity. But irrespective, we can get quite bogged down here, but we do know that strength is a major risk factor for hamstring injuries or lack of strength. When we start thinking about exercises, we start looking at those eccentric training type protocols. And eccentric training overloads the muscles to a greater extent, enhances the muscle mass, strength, and power than concentric training. These type of contractions not only produce higher forces, but also do at a greatly reduced energy expenditure. Eccentric muscle actions play a great role in the stretch shortening cycle, where it precedes concentric contraction. Specifically, the hamstring muscle tendons undergo eccentric lengthening from approximately 45 to 90% of the sprinting gait cycle and therefore after shorten before contact. This stretch shortening cycle results in improved running economy by significant enhancement of the power output of the subsequent contraction. As a result, the hamstrings are undertaking a substantial amount of negative work during the late swing phase. Negative muscular tenderness work performed by the hamstrings is increased considerably with speed. In this capacity, the hamstrings and their tendons are behaving as springs that psychically absorb and recover elastic energy before foot contact before the sprinting gait cycle. This function is significantly time dependent and if not recovered, the energy is lost as heat. Hence, combining both properties, which is shock absorber and time dependent spring, the hamstring muscles likely function as a shock absorber in a series with a spring. Chronic exposure to eccentric muscle activity results in an active sprint structures adaptations. In other words, the muscle stiffens, in addition to the above-mentioned load absorption and strength capabilities. Biomechanically, muscle stiffness is the ratio of force response that results from and resists mechanical stretch. Therefore, a stiffer muscle could act to protect the stretching muscle from stretch overload damage, and at the same time, enhance the amount of elastic recoil energy available in the stretch shortening cycle. Now this we would obviously think to be of advantage. Eccentric exercise can also prevent injury to the muscle tenderness unit by improving the muscle's ability to absorb more energy and increase force before failing. The exact mechanism of the adaptation is not defined, but it's likely a result of both structural and neural influences. When we look at just skeletal muscles, these have an optimum length for producing peak tension. Muscle strain injuries are thought to occur when activated muscles are lengthened to greater than optimal length. The hamstring muscles are actively lengthened during hip flexion and knee extension, which occur simultaneously during the late swing phase in running, such as in the airborne leg which swings forward. Different authors suggest that athletes who produce peak torque at shorter lengths are more prone to injury because part of the hamstring muscle is operating in a risk range of the length tension, as this may occur during the late swing phase of sprinting. One of the main forms of training that's been shown to consistently increase the optimum length of tension developed has been eccentric exercise, and I think we can all agree with that. 
The edition of Sarcomeres in series, which is called Sarcomeriogenesis, is related to an increased fascicle length and an increase in passive tension at longer lengths, which has been proposed to explain optimum length changes after eccentric exercise. This may also explain the success achieved by the Nordic hamstring exercise, as we could all agree with, is the most common exercise used in literature to prevent such injuries. When the author started to look at the selection criteria to classify and program a complete eccentric exercise program for hamstring injuries, they looked at, firstly, the injury mechanism. And as stated previously, active lengthening of the hamstring muscles may occur both in the late swing phase, which is open kinetic chain, and during the late stance phase, which is closed kinetic chain. This suggests that both open and closed kinetic chain exercises should be included in the design prevention program. Also, hamstrings have a key role in the stretch shortening cycle. The hamstrings lengthen under load from 45 to 90% of the gait cycle or the swing cycle, absorbing imposed mechanical energy, and then shorten under load from late swing through to stance to reuse this energy. In this way, they no longer act not only as shock absorbers, rather they perform more like a spring. Therefore, these authors strongly advise to use stretch shortening cycle exercises and combine them with isolated eccentric exercises in open or closed chain in order to replicate hamstring function. Another consideration is around hip or knee dominant. And I know this has been discussed with a lot of other leaders out there with respect to hamstring injuries is that we need to be looking at exercises which come from both the hip but also from the knee. When we look at sprinting, the function of the hamstring in the late swing phase is that of hip extension concentrically, acting to quickly swing the thigh backward, while also acting as knee flexors to eccentrically decelerate the forward swing of the lower leg. Therefore, hamstrings show a dual role from which they have been prepared. Deficits in eccentric knee extension have been proposed as an injury predictor, and typically both Nordic hamstring and eccentric leg curl exercises appear as the most successful and safe choice to reverse this deficiency. Another point in terms of exercise classification is around hip or knee dominant. And as we all know, hamstring injuries can occur either proximally or distally from the assertion in sprinters or any running sport athletes. Therefore, both locations should be trained with exercise that actively lengthen the hamstrings with either hip flexion, knee extension, or a combination of both. Or in other words, we need to be looking at closed and open kinetic chain exercises, but also looking to exercise from the hip or from the knee. And respect to targeting which muscles, because the hamstring strains affect different hamstrings muscles, appropriate exercise selection is crucial to target the desired muscles. In track and field athletes, the long head of the biceps femoris muscle constitute the primary injury site and in the author's opinion, needs the most special consideration. So from the article here, we're looking at open or closed kinetic chain exercises, we're also looking at differences between hip or knee dominant exercises. So what I'm going to do now is just go straight on to the exercises they suggest and just give a small explanation. If you go to the article, they've got some really cool colored pictures which really explain it all. The first one is a single leg deadlift and this is an example of a closed kinetic chain or a fixed distal segment, which is a single leg hip dominant exercise or in other words, a single leg arabesque. With respect to this exercise, in this hip hinge type movement, 
lumbo-pelvic neutral alignment and neuromuscular control is required. The second exercise is called a slide leg curl and this is an example of combined hip and knee open kinetic chain exercise. This is where your shoulders are on the ground and your feet are on the ground and you're going to combine hip extension and knee flexion. So you're just sliding your feet in and out like a hamstring curl. So typically you'd use a slide board. Eccentric knee flexion is done during the descending phase and concentric knee flexion committedly with hip extension during the ascending phase. Legs out, legs back in. A simple slide leg curl. The third exercise is called a hamstring catapult and I actually just call this a cable single leg pull down where you're laying on your back, you have an attachment on the foot, you have your foot in the air say at 90 degrees to the ground, you stabilize and you pull your foot down to the ground. And this is an example of an open kinetic chain single leg hip dominant exercise. So we're using the exercise from a hip we're locking our knee position because it's pretty much a straight leg and you're going to use a concentric hip extension is done during the descending phase and eccentric hip extension to counteract hip flexion is done during the recovery phase as your foot is coming back up. The fourth exercise that they suggest is called a sprinter eccentric leg curl. This here, once again, we're using a cable machine and a foot attachment. You're standing pretty much in a single leg stance type sprinting activity and it's an example of an open kinetic chain single leg knee dominant exercise so it's knee dominant you have that free leg which would be in the swing phase you have a concentric knee flexion during the pulling so you're bringing your heel up under your hips and you have that eccentric knee flexion to counteract cable imposed forces during as the foot's going back out stability of the hip at the weight bearing leg and neuromuscular control of the core in order to counteract the torsional forces created at the trunk are required. In this exercise, you can really try and reinforce that this is something a lot more specific. You got that single leg stance, connecting with the ground, making sure you've got great control through that leg while your free leg in the air, which is connected to the cable, is doing all the work. The fifth exercise is the Nordic hamstring, and we're all familiar with this. It's an example of an open kinetic chain bilateral knee dominant exercise. The hamstring muscles maximally contract against the knee extending action as the person is lowered throughout the range of motion. We're trying to maintain perfect neutral alignment. The sixth exercise is a barbell leg curl and this is an example of a closed kinetic chain. It's a fixed distal segment and it's a double leg hip dominant exercise. You're hanging from a high bar position that might be at say chest height your feet are on a small box and you're doing a leg curl, a hamstring curl. You're digging your feet into the ground. You're coming up through your knees and you have concentric knee flexion during the ascending and eccentric knee flexion during the descending where your body's going from straight. So you'll start pretty much a straight position from your feet to your shoulders and then you dig your heels in and then you have that concentric knee flexion and then you have that eccentric control going back. And the seventh and last exercise they speak about is a loaded lunge box jump. And this is a much more advanced type exercise than we would typically give for most athletes out there. This example is a progression in strain, and it's a single leg closed kinetic chain hip dominant exercise. 
you drop jump from a high to stun and the strain is achieved at the hamstrings due to increase in external hip flexion. You're standing on a small box. Basically, you're lunging forward off the box onto the ground and you totally leave the box and land in a split squat type position. This here, I imagine, would be more your end stage rehab because it's quite a complex exercise. The gentleman here has got a barbell on his back and I'd make sure I'm really well trained here. Once again, nothing really new. I really like the hamstring catapult and the sprinter eccentric leg curl. One of the athletes I work with actually has a fair bit of trouble with his knee. He gets a lot of pain when he does a Nordic exercise. And I've had to be quite creative. And the hamstring catapult or the straight leg pull down. And he actually also finds that the sprinter eccentric leg curl works quite well. And I think from a selling point, it's actually really easy to implement because you're in that single stance, which is exactly what happens when you're sprinting. The movement's quite short in that eccentric leg curl. But, you know, the athlete really gets it. And, and I think that's really important. The other ones I do a fair bit of. So nothing really new there. So it's quite nice to know that what other people are suggesting as a hamstring exercise prevention type regime is something that I'm already doing here. Some considerations to just reinforce here around the type of activity, how you perform it, is that we're looking to increase the optimal length and strain. Therefore, the eccentric exercises which actively lengthen the hamstrings with either hip flexion Knee extension or a combination of both are proposed as really good exercise selections. The exercise progression must proceed more in relation to length and strain parameters than to strength, intensity and contraction velocity. And this is another really important thing here. Sometimes as coaches, we're really, or athletes, they're really eager to keep progressing load, 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 as opposed to saying it's the length that you want and the strain parameters that we're trying to teach the athlete to be more resilient against. Progressively increasing the length at which muscle groups are trained or modifying ground reaction forces, moment arms, in relation to the joint may also help to minimize initial muscle damage while gradually improving outer range muscle strength and protect against future injury risk. This is just saying make a really good progression from the start of the exercise to the end point. Just because we see something that other people are doing out there doesn't mean that that's our first step. Sometimes we need to regress before we progress an exercise. Another practical bit of advice here that the authors go into is around that strength gains are required to address the strength deficit. And eccentric actions should be overloaded between 20 to 80% beyond the maximal isometric strength. However, volume and intensity of eccentric training programs should be gradually progressed to minimize the effect of exercise-induced muscle damage and to provide the stimulus necessary to produce ongoing adaptions. Once again here, really good periodization and logical progressions. If the athlete can't do it and can't do it very well, we just need to regress the exercise and then progress them gently. Because at the end of the day, if they're able to improve from session to session, we're just going to obviously should be assuming that they're getting the adaptations that we're really trying to get. And that's what we're trying to do. Once again, just because we see someone doing it out there is not necessarily an indication that that's the starting point. We've really got to individualize this type of programming for the athletes that we have. I thought this was a good paper. It didn't necessarily come out with any huge statement saying that you must be doing A, B, and C because of the results of the study. It's just giving really good practical sound advice based upon the body of literature out there. It's got the pictures which go with it, combining hip knee dominant type exercises 
which are also including open and closed kinetic chain type movements. It gives the pictures, which you can then obviously then take away as a coach and say, yep, I'm already implementing that. Or actually then start to question if you're not doing it, why aren't you doing it? Because when you look at the literature out there, they are the things that we need to be considering as a coach. Once again, when I have something in my program, I feel I should be able to justify everything that I'm giving to the athletes that I work with. And same with these type of exercises. If you haven't got these type of movements in your program and you're trying to have an injury prevention program for the hamstrings, you should be able to justify as to why perhaps you haven't got these exercises in. So something for you to consider for your own program. Get the paper out. It's a good paper. It's really practical. It has the science behind it. I hope I haven't gone too much into the deep science there in terms of the biomechanics of sprinting. But for those people out there that are really into it, I think hopefully you got something out of that as well. Once again, thanks for listening. And thanks also to our sponsors, EliteForm.com. Remember to subscribe to us. And you know if you're really enjoying the podcast, tell your friends and also interact with us on social media. We really appreciate it. We'll see you next week.